Hello again, and welcome to the Master's Voice. I am Celestial, and you are welcome to this channel. To old and new subscribers, you're very welcome. Please like the video, and please be sure to share with someone as the Lord leads you. You're welcome to become a subscriber if you are so inclined. And without much ado, I am very blessed. I am very blessed today to share a message that the Lord has given me. It is not part of the prophecies that the Father has given me, so it is not anything that you can find published on the blog itself. The blog is called themastersvoice.com. And if you look in the description box below, I'll be sure to leave the URL where you can always go back to the blog read the prophecies. I always say it is best for you to read these messages in written form, but today is an exception. And I'm very blessed to share the things that the Lord has been telling me over the last few days. So I hope that I can do it justice. The title of today's message is called the language of deception. And I have the freedom of God to speak as my heart is led. So without further ado, let's go into it. The language of deception when Jesus was speaking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 24, they were asking him a lot of questions. But one of the primary questions that they asked him is, Lord, tell us how to know when you're coming back. So give us an inclination, give us an understanding, drop us a few clues, Jesus, so that we can be prepared to know what it's going to be like just before you come so we can watch out for you. So I'll read Matthew 24 and it says, then Jesus went out and he departed from the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, and he said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. So the Lord could have said many things because in Matthew 24, Jesus lays out things that if you're a weak hearted person, you might be inclined to believe these many floating beliefs that are out there that Christians have, which I may go into today, I may not. But there are many camps out there that Christians have. I guess I'll just call it dispensationalism, where they believe that this is going to happen and this is going to happen to this group of people. And then this group of people are going to fly in the rapture and they're not going to be here. And so the things that Jesus is saying is only for a certain group of people, perhaps the Christians who are not who have not yet gotten it together, who are not living right, and then they're going to be left here. And this is who Jesus is talking about. But if you take the time to read Matthew chapter 24 and you couple it with Luke chapter 21, and then you just make a little segue to Mark 13, I am certain that if you were to look at those three chapters alone and you don't even read the book of Daniel nor pay attention to anything that's in Revelation 6 or the book of Revelation, you might be led of the Spirit of the Lord to deeply examine your beliefs in view of the end times. And so the Lord has been dropping little tidbits in my heart and I was really surprised and I was really excited as the father was opening up these things to me, things that I've known, but to be allowed to share them is really a blessing for me. And so Jesus could have said, you're going to see wars and rumors of wars. That's how you'll know I'm coming back. He could have said, oh, um, they're, they're going to 
you will see the kingdoms rising against kingdoms. So ethnicity will begin to fight ethnicity. That is one of the things that the kingdom against kingdoms mean. And it also says that nation will rise against nation. So you're going to see whole countries tumbling into war, tumbling into contrariness and fighting. And you're going to see a lot of upset internationally. He could have said anything, but the first thing that the Lord said is take heed that no one deceives you. And I think that this is a real expression of Jesus Christ's mercy because the biggest red flag in the end times is going to be deception. And I see it all the time. I see it sometimes in the questions that people ask me. I know that many people believe that their questions are well-meaning, but you don't understand that we reveal a lot through what we don't say. So we may ask a question and we may think, oh no, it's a genuine question, I really mean it. But the things that we say, especially one to another, especially if you are speaking to someone who has not only the discernment of the Lord, but the prophetic discernment of the Lord, they reveal a lot about what is going on in the heart and the minds of people people. And therefore, when I pray, when I'm praying for the people who subscribe to this channel, whether you're subscribed or not, even if you just flew by here once, the very serious thing that I bring before the Lord is that open the eyes of your people, Lord, let your people not be deceived. And maybe if this was the 1400s or this was even 1960, this would just be looked at as a good Christian prayer. But the reason I pray this is because if anyone is living deceived in these times, it is very likely and it is highly likely that you can lose your life. You can lose your life ahead of the time that God would have wanted. So don't think that whenever we see somebody pass away, this is God's will. That is, that is nowhere in the scripture. Um, I think one of the biggest deceptions of our current time is this belief among Christians that we cannot be hurt, that we cannot be killed, that we cannot be harmed, and that we cannot be dragged. When I say dragged, I'm simply talking about when Satan grabs you by the lapel and begins to drag you and you see your life unraveling, spinning out of control and becoming extremely unmanageable, horrible. Christians literally think that it is not possible for Christians to be killed or harmed or dragged. A lot of us, especially younger believers, but even believers who have been saved for a long time, we live in this cloudy bubble in the mind where we think, oh, Jesus, 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 nothing can happen to me because of Jesus. And yet you look in the pages of this book, they're flogging people, they're, they're nailing people here and there, beating people, scattering people, dragging them off and putting them in prison. Some of this was even done by people who were pre-converted. And we have to become aware as Christians in this modern day that there is a massive disconnect between what's in this book and what's in our heads. And the only way that we will come to the acceptance of that is if we become humble enough to accept that to a very large extent, Many of us have not been taught properly. You may not want to hear it coming from someone like me. You may think, well, what does she know? She looks eight years old. But the truth of the matter is that true Christian teaching has been largely lost in the body of Christ. It is very rare to find a Christian leader who will tell you like it is from the scripture, who will tell you the truth. I recently went to a service. I went to a church service and, um, they were preaching out of the book of John and they were preaching about where Jesus was talking about, you know, the vines, the vine abiding in him and flourishing. And then how, if any vine does not abide, I think it was John chapter 10. If a vine does not abide, 
The Lord is very clear in the scripture. He says that he is going to yank out that vine, prune it real hard, cut it, and then he's going to cast it into the fire. And so I'm sitting there and I'm listening to the minister and he's ministering and there is the anointing of the Lord present and he is sharing about all the good things that come out of being a planted vine in Christ, how you will grow and how you will flourish and how we find our true life in Christ, the true vine, which is true. And then I'm waiting for what I call balanced preaching or balanced giving of the full matter to the people. And it never came. The second part of the verse, which was right there next to the first part of the verse, that says that if any, if any, if any branch does not abide in the vine, that branch is going to be hacked off by God, the vine dresser, and it's going to be cast into the fire. That entire part that is supposed to tell the Christian to keep their 10 toes away from sin was never preached. It was never touched on. It did not even come up for the entire 45 minute message. It was conveniently left out because in modern day Christianity around the world, but especially here in the United States, it is unpopular to talk about hacking and casting into fire. People don't like to hear that. They get uncomfortable. They begin to shift in their seats and they feel a little bit nervous. And in their hearts, they begin to push out this projection towards the pastor, move on, move on. So this pastor did not even have to go through the situation of being told move on or seeing people's faces change. He did not preach about the part where Jesus says that if you want to be a vine unto yourself, you want to be that free living vine that's just going to keep yanking yourself out of Christ, the true vine, going off to do what you feel you want to do, or you feel that you can be attached to the vine, but you can have a mind of your own. So when the vine is telling you to do this, you feel, I'm not sure where this thought is coming from. I'm not sure why I'm being led this way. I'm going to get second and third and fifth opinions before I do anything. He didn't talk about how the Lord will lose patience with those branches and will come and hack those branches off and make a merry bonfire of them, which is just another depiction of hell, because that is where disobedient and sinful people go. When you give people half a loaf of bread and you keep back the other half because you think it's going to be unpopular, you forget that you are putting those people at great risk of hellfire. I'm going to say it again so everybody knows what I'm talking about. Hell fire. That is where sinners go. That is where the disobedient go. That is where the rebellious go. And God is not forcing anyone or condemning anyone in an early fashion to hell. God has made it clear to us in the pages of this book that we have a choice to make. Just like the choice that faced our forefather and our foremother, Adam and Eve, every human soul has the opportunity to grow and come closer to the Lord through obedience and submission of their life to the Lord so that the Lord can make something very glorious of that life, or they can rebel and say, I don't want a Lord. I don't want a master. But I've said in many of the old videos, always bear in mind that you choose. And then afterward, God being sovereign has the right to judge your choices. And so when we give people half the story, we don't know that we are placating them or patting and soothing them for a time. But what it builds is people who are used to deception.
What it creates is people who love their deception after a while, because deception is actually very comfortable. Deception has a tendency to edit out all the uncomfortable bits, leaving you with the bouquet in the middle that makes you feel good. You can do that anywhere else in life. You can be deceived if you want to in your marriage. You can be deceived on your job if you want to. You can even be deceived about how you're raising your children. But if you are deceived in Christianity, it is very dangerous. And this is why the Lord said, take heed that no one deceive you. Take heed means be careful. It means be watchful. It means have your best glasses on and don't have rose-colored glasses on that show you the world in a, in a certain way. When you read Matthew 24, the Lord starts with a synopsis. He talks about wars and rumors of wars, and he says, don't be troubled because all these things have to happen, but the end is not coming. Remember, the apostles were asking him, tell us what are the signs of the end, not the middle, the final bit where we expect to see you again. And then he says that nations will rise against nations and kingdoms are going to tussle with kingdoms. And then he goes into something else and he says, there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. There's that school of thought in Christianity that thinks that these things have already passed, even though these things have perpetually been with people. Famines, pestilences, and earthquakes. But right now, since 2020, the whole world has been faced with what we've been told is a deadly and a very dangerous pestilence. And certain measures are being taken. And those measures are being put forward to us in this world. And we're being told that these are very necessary measures. And they're measures that we need to keep the populace safe. They're measures that are very, very important for the greater good. And yet these measures remind me of a verse that the Lord brought to my heart from revelation and it is revelation chapter it is revelation chapter 13 and 11. just give me a moment in fact let's just go there real time revelation chapter 13 and 11 is what the current conversation that we're having in the whole world today about things that are necessary and how these things have to happen and how they're best for us and it sounds like soft language, but there's a really strong hand behind it, isn't there? There's a really powerful, almost an iron grip that is squeezing the nations right now and saying, oh, we're squeezing you for your own good and that's why you can't go outside. We're keeping you safe and that's why you can't keep a job unless you come with a certain poke in your arm. And so, here we are in Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, and it's a single verse that the Lord laid on my heart a few days ago, and it says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. I shared in a previous video about how knowledge is so important. Knowledge is essential to us as Christians. It is not good to be ignorant. The Bible even says, study that you show yourself approved. And when it says show yourself approved, that means that it's possible to think you've read the Bible and you have understanding, and then you speak, and somebody who actually has understanding can hear with the ear and with the heart that you don't actually understand what you think you have an understanding of. And so I said that knowledge that is according to deception puts you at risk of being a fool. 
And Proverbs talks often about what happens to the fool, that he is suddenly destroyed. It says that if a fool is walking and will not heed instruction, suddenly he is destroyed without remedy, which means that not only can fools look forward to being destroyed, but you will be destroyed in such a manner that it is irreparable damage. Now, since we're talking about this current situation in the world today, it is unfortunate, but I think many of us have already had a front row seat to the damage that um, being deceived can cause. As you continue to listen to soft words that nevertheless seem to come with this very iron, iron execution behind it, the word that came into my heart was this, the beast that came up out of the earth with horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Now, this is definitely speaking of a certain personage that will rise in the end times that will have very soft speech, almost oily speech. And we know how smooth oil is. Promises that seem to bring such great answers to the trials and the struggles that we will be facing in that time. And yet the Lord says the the appearance of this person will be like a lamb, but his words will be like a dragon's words. And these, 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 this sentence, this word almost describes word for word what the son of perdition, the king of fierce features will do in the end times. It says that he will think to change the times and the laws. So the times and the laws that have been working for us up to now will be suddenly shifted and I don't think there's a single person, whether you are saved or unsaved, who can deny that these things are happening real time. In fact, many people are bewildered because they're wondering why they're happening, and they don't know that the so-called great reset is taking place. And the only reason it is taking place is because the entire earth is being prepared for a new Lord and a new master who is not our Lord and master, Jesus Christ. This entire world is being shifted. The chairs are being moved. The linen on the beds are being changed. The tablecloth is being set to welcome in a completely new system, a new order that will not be ruled by the one we call Lord. It will be ruled by a new order, a new Lord, and that one is Satan. And so it's very important that we understand and that we have knowledge according to truth. It's very important that we don't have half a loaf of bread because if anyone is keeping back the other loaf of bread from you and you do not have the full understanding of what is coming upon us and will continue to come upon us in the years to come, you are very much at risk of breaking Jesus's first warning in Matthew 24, when he says, take heed that no one deceives you. When someone says, take heed, the responsibility is on you. It's not on your pastor. It's not on your prayer group. It's not on whoever you're watching on YouTube. The responsibility to avoid deception is upon you to whom the scripture says, take heed. Take heed literally means actively take steps to make sure that you are not in a position to be deceived. Jesus goes on and he says some things that I think that we need to hear. We need to hear these things so that the deceptions and the false hopes that are in many of us will go away. Jesus says that things like kingdoms fighting kingdoms and nations fighting nations is just 
beginning of sorrows. Let's look deeper into what happens when a nation fights a nation and when a kingdom fights a kingdom. When you have two nations or two ethnicities that can't get along, and then spiritual wickedness, the work of the evil one enters their hearts like some of the genocides we've seen in history. Are you aware of how much brutality actually happens on the ground? I know here in the United States, we've already, we've only watched these things on TV. They're so distant. They're taking place in Africa and, and other places, Kosovo and other places like that. And these things don't really touch us. We look and we think that's horrible. They're being so brutal to one another. And yet here on this channel, I brought forth the word that the Lord says that American brother will raise up his hand against American brother and that blood will flow in the streets in this nation, in a civil war. I'm not talking about the Russian invasion, the Chinese invasion of America that will be part of crushing America out of existence. This is the type of word that you will find on this channel and to do the Lord honor I will bring it exactly as he said it. The Lord says that brother will rise against brother in this nation because of a breakdown in ideology, because of a breakdown in compassion, and also because the nation is so sinful that all her doors are open to the presence of Satan. There's a scripture that I repeat often on this channel, and it says the wicked will be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. And I always say that when you read the scripture, ask the Holy Spirit to really empower your heart to grasp what the words are saying. Whatever language you read the word in, it's important to grasp what the words are saying. The wicked being turned into hell and all the nations that forget God doesn't only mean that at the end of time, God will weigh up the deeds of the wicked, lay hold of them, and the angels will put them into hell. And all the wicked nations, the Lord will lay hold of them and put them into hell. Turned into literally means become something else. So a nation that gives itself to sin, a nation that is cons consistently looking for more, greater, and graphic ways to sin against God is a nation that is going to turn from a nation of peace, a nation of understanding, a nation where once if people held diametrically opposing political views, they could still sit down at the same table and have dinner. So a red farmer and a blue farmer could live right next door to each other and they could farm their farms. And in the evenings, they could sit on one person's porch and argue politics until they were both purple in the face, which is the mixture of red and blue, by the way. But at the end of the day, one person's wife would say, dinner's ready. And both those men who can't agree on most things would be able to sit at the same table and treat each other with civility, even love. You would never be able to ask either of those farmers, do you hate your neighbor? And have him say, what? Just because he's red? Just because he's blue? He's my brother. He's the best friend I've got. That is what people used to do before. But now we've come to the point where, as the Lord has revealed through certain prophecies, you can read the prophecy called The Many Words of God, part one and part two. You can find it on the Master's Voice. You can also find it on this channel. The Lord says that we've come to the point where people will be almost as if they want to spit when they think of someone with a different ideology. So if you have a Christian ideology and you have certain views concerning marriage, who's supposed to be married and who the parties are in a marriage, man and woman, by the way, that's the only marriage that God sanctions. 
then you might find that somebody else who has a different viewpoint from you will find you absolutely intolerable. They will see you as filth. They will see you as something that does not deserve to be on this earth. And the Lord says that there will be an increase of this kind of hatred and a magnification of this kind of hatred until people rise up in future times and slaughter one another. So when Jesus is saying wars, rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, this means that countries around the world, definitely including this one, are going to erupt in a genocidal murder frenzy within their own borders. Mexico's not going to attack America. Canada's not going to attack America. America is going to attack America in its own civil war. And the Lord says that a lot of that will be because the media of this country will whip people up into a frenzy until they are absolutely unable to join and find common ground anymore. He also says it will happen because the, the nation's government is going to go rogue. And I spoke about that in... I think it said a coup for America. That's the name of the prophecy. You can find it on this blog. There's a picture of the current president and the title of that message is a coup for America. You can also read and watch the video, um, read the blog and watch the video where it says a people of madness and you will get a better picture of what I'm talking about now. In those prophecies, the Lord says that the government will go rogue. And the reason that the government will go rogue is what I said in the earlier part of this, of this video, the world is being prepared for a different type of government. The word is the world is being prepared for a new leader, a leader that we've never seen before charismatic, but not only that, don't only think about the old 700 club videos and how they portray him. This is a person of such cunning and that cunning is going to be hard to beat. It says that he will be enigmatic and he will be a man who understands dark sayings. This means that this is a person who is able to solve puzzles at a deep level. And the reason that he's going to be able to solve these puzzles at a deep level is because he is going to be moving with what I can only call satanic wisdom, satanic discernment, and satanic understanding. We are talking about the rise of a personage that is going to greatly harm the church of the Lord. So that's one of the deceptions that we need to let go of is that we're going to be a church here and we're just going to be under some dome of godly protection with bright lights and angels shining upon us. That is not what Jesus is telling us. In fact, the next sentence is after you see people killing one another in their own countries, the man goes on to say that this is just the beginning. So genocide and murder within borders, brother against brother, for whatever reason it is, he says, oh no, that's how it's going to start. So there are many of us, as soon as there's a crisis, as soon as there's a situation, the faith in us is so tiny that we react, meaning something happens and then bleh, a reaction comes out of us. There's no response time. There's no prayer time. There's no saying this is so terrible, but I can still worship God. And not only that, I'm going to withdraw into a place of meditation, silence, and deep seeking of the Lord. Because what is happening right now is so great that I know that if I put my foot wrong, I do not get a second chance to fix it. If Jesus is saying this is just the beginning, it might be time for some of us to begin to assess our level of faith. It might be time for some of us to ask ourselves, when I'm fasting, I can't even make it through the day. 
So I tell myself this is a fasting day, but by 2 p.m. or by noon or by 4 p.m., I'm perishing. I have to get myself a smoothie. I have to break the fast because I don't have the resilience to actually fast without food and water until the end of the day. Saying these kinds of things in our current U.S. culture is almost equal to telling someone, go and jump off a bridge. If you suggest to someone that it is possible to spend the entire day in fasting without fainting and without even being tired, looking bright and quite happy, and yet you've had no food and you've had no water and you've had no sustenance the entire day because you are training your spirit to draw what it needs from the spiritual realm, from the word of God. And when your spirit is stronger than your body, your body actually lies down like a little puppy. It becomes so respectful and it becomes so well controlled and you can complete a day, two days, three days. You can even go up to seven days without having anything. You might not be bright and chirpy at the end of the seven days, but I have to let you know that there are people in this world who are fasting at that level and they are building up extreme spiritual resilience. And it is that thing that you rely on when the other things that Celestial talks about on this channel come to pass. You're not gonna rely on a gun and bullets when a giant appears. These are spiritual beings encased in flesh and you're not gonna shoot them with your 38. But if you see these things manifest for the first time and the response of your heart, mind, and body is to shut down and you go into a coma, you have a heart attack, that is instantly letting you know that you did not have knowledge according to truth, that you were deceived in thinking that these things are only part of Disney movies and Raoul Dahl stories. And now that one has shown up, there is absolutely nothing that has been kept in you for the day of trial for the day of tribulation. Not only are these things real, but they will come upon the earth. And so Jesus says now that this is just the beginning of sorrow. They're actually going to deliver you to tribulation. They're going to kill some of you and every nation is going to hate you. I actually wrote about this on Facebook and I said that some people in Christianity are so fragile that if you are trying to lead your family into a deeper truth that the Lord has revealed to you in the world, in the word, and your family resists you, this is, a, this is something that just breaks you. It just, it, it, oh, they don't, they don't want to go deeper with God and, and why God? And, and you're so confused and you're weepy and you're sad and you don't even seem to realize that Christianity is a practice of one. This faith is a practice of one done in the presence of many. See all my fingers? These are five separate fingers. Each one of them is a separate entity, but they work together in tandem to form a hand. That is Christianity. You come into this world, you have your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be building it according to scripture. Build and work on your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then you do this in the larger multitude that is known as the body of Christ. So you're not going to be a lone finger. This finger is not capable of anything if it was to be, well, if it's possible not to chop it off, but let it run off and do its own thing. It's just one finger. The only thing it's good for is maybe pressing an elevator button. It's not capable of anything, but as a hand, I can do more. And as two hands, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So this is a walk of one in the presence of many. And you cannot overcome the things that will come 
by your husband's faith. So if your husband is a great pillar of faith in the home and you're just resting under his wings and oh, Brad, you know, he, when he prays for me, when I have a headache or when I'm sick, I just, I just get right up the next morning. If you are not using that time under Brad's coverage to build your own spiritual strength as Claire, then you will find that in the day of tribulation that Jesus is talking about, Brad is going to rise up from his inner man like a hero. And you're going to be crying and stressed out and fainting and that is going to be a great detriment to that man and to your family. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. This is what the Lord is constantly exhorting us because in the day of trial, you will need it. The book of Proverbs says that if you faint in the day of adversity, then your strength is small indeed. And what that scripture is basically telling you that if you choose the moment when you are supposed to rise to the occasion, when your faith is supposed to kick in like a trusty Ford engine, and instead that is the moment that you fall and weaken within yourself, that is going to be a terrible, terrible thing to happen to you. And so the Lord talks here about the rise of offense, the betrayal of one another, people will hate one another, the coming of my favorite people, the false prophets who will rise up and deceive many. And then he says, because lawlessness will be so great, the love of many people will grow cold. We're going to see the destruction of many family units in these end times. A lot of families are going to end up hating one another. And a lot of marriages that are not built upon the true rock, built upon mutual understanding, mutual submission, leadership of the husband, and support and submission of the wife, those families and those marriages are going to be scattered like so much hay because they have not adhered to the spiritual truth and they have not built their houses upon the rock at the time when the sun was shining. The Bible tells us we should be like the ant. The ant works in the daytime when the sun is shining, gathering her little pieces of corn and her little crumbs and her sugar, whatever we drop. And she does it because when night comes and no one can work, the ant will be secured with everything that she kept and those who built up no faith for the time of the end are going to be scattered before the sword of this one who is the beast, before the sword of this evil system that will come upon this earth. And so the Lord is now talking about, we must endure to the end to be saved. He's saying that we will see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, and then if you're in Judea, we're not in Judea. So it basically means wherever you are in your city, run to the mountains. Don't even go into your house to pack a bag or take anything out of the house. If you're in the field, don't go back to get clothes. Are we prepared for the sudden advent of an event in this world that is going to trigger so much fear and so much shock and so much terror in us that the Lord will say, hit the hills. Don't go back to get your laptop, don't go back to get the bug out bag or the tons of food that you have prepped, hit the hills. Do we have the faith to actually obey the Lord on a dime? To those who are not American and don't know what it means to obey on a dime, it literally means on the spin, on the back of a situation. Do we have, the, do we have what it takes to literally move in faith when the Lord says move? To not go, who's this speaking to me? And I don't know why I feel this way. There are people, and I will just say this because this is the most prevalent type of mail I get. I get this mail on an average of 
maybe five times a week, people asking me on my different platforms, this and this and this. I will say this to you. When the Lord speaks to you, you know it. There is no confusing his voice. It is like nothing else on this earth. It doesn't have to be the audible voice of God, meaning that he's speaking to you in your ears or he's speaking to you in your heart. At times, the Lord is drawing you through his word. He's talking to you. He's telling you something. He's opening up a deeper secret to you. There is no need to get a second opinion from anyone I preach on this channel all the time that the Lord loves the people who honor him. When you honor someone, you are saying that this person comes first. This person takes the premier place, which means the highest place conceivable for you. The highest place, that place that some people give their mom, that place that some people give the baby that they couldn't have until they had IVF after 13 years, that place should be occupied by no one else but Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So when that person in that highest place is speaking to you and revealing to you something from the scripture, there is no need to take that revelation and go and submit it to someone else to get them to validate it before you can obey. It is so disrespectful to the father. If he tells you something or shows you something from the word, something you never knew, and you begin to have a powerful inner conviction, this is truth. This is real. I ought to practice this. I ought to follow it. There is no need to go to anyone and say, I was reading the scripture and I felt the gentle and the the unmistakable touch of my first love. And he revealed to me this. But what do you think? Do you think I should do it? Do you think it's okay? Why do you need another person's opinion to obey? When in this book, Abraham was told to take the most precious thing to him and go and kill it on a rock. Abraham said not a word. He did not even say, sure, God. He went to sleep. Whatever he was thinking in his heart, we will never know. But if we have common sense, we can know the kind of night that a father of one baby that he got after 25 years of weeping and faith living, we can use common sense to know the kind of night that Abraham spent. He woke up in the morning and he did not even tell the mother of the boy. He took the boy and obeyed the Lord. If Abraham could take a living human being and walk to some mountain to kill him, that high level of honor, is it so hard when the voice of the spirit comes to you and reveals to you, Sally, do this. Bob, do this. I'm pulling you into the deeper water. Just you. I'm pulling you. Why do you need somebody else to sign off on it? before you can do it. And yet in real life, we all have bosses. And if your boss suddenly pops his head in your office and says, Hey, Celestial, uh, I'm going to need you to work another three hours. I'm so sorry. I know it's last minute. You might've had plans. I'm so sorry. But anyway, I hope you'll come through for the team. How many of us will turn and say, Hey, Frank, you think I should do it? Hey, Connor, you think I should obey my boss? You think I should stay late? If you would not even think 
of dishonoring another human being who has given you an instruction. Why is it that Jesus Christ's instructions from the scripture always need to get the rubber stamp of a group of people before you can obey? If you're someone who's doing this, stop doing this. Stop dishonoring God. When the Lord presses the button of your heart and teaches you something that you didn't need know before, all you need to do is say, yes, Lord, your servant hears and begin doing that thing right away. I'll continue this, the language of deception in a, se in a second video. Just give me a moment to fix the light. God bless you.